6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 45 through 49. Going on, verse 15, Why are the valiant men swept away? They stood not, because the Lord did drive them. He made many to fall, yea, one fell upon another. And they said, Arise, let us go again to our people and to the land of our nativity uh, from the oppressing sword. They did cry there, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is but a noise. He hath passed the time appointed. As I live, saith the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts, surely like Tabor among the mountains, like Carmel by the sea, so shall he come. I want to cover something at the end um, in case I get pressed for time and don't. I want to take us, if we can find the time, of Daniel 4 and Daniel 10 after this passage to, show, to, to make uh, some broader points vis-a-vis uh, that God is the God of the nations. We always think of him in, in um, Old Testament or Israeli or New Testament gospel terms. There's a much broader perception that's, that's especially dramatized in both Daniel 4 and 10, so I'll try to get at that, but I think the time to do is after we've been through all of these prophecies, and then, then to summarize them. Verse 19, O thou daughter dwelling in Egypt, furnish thyself to go into captivity. For Memphis shall be waste and desolate without an inhabitant. Egypt is like a very fair heifer, but destruction cometh, it cometh out of the north. And again, from their fertile crescent geography, you have to realize that Babylon, even though it's way to the east, really attacks from the north because of the crescent aspects of the geography there. First from also her hired men are in the midst of her like fatted bullocks, and they also turned back and are fled away together. They did not stand because the day of their calamity was come upon them and the time of their judgment. The voice of it shall go like a serpent. And by the way, that's interesting because that was the serpent was the on their Egyptian banners, etc. So there's a there's by the way, something I'm sparing you too. Um sometimes I'll go through all these notes from the commentators and they'll point out the wordplay. In the English, we missed that. Often through these, there's places where in the Hebrew, there's puns and play on the words, alliteration or puns or other things. Uh, because we've got a lengthy passage and I just want to zip through it. When I bring that up, I don't know what you do with that information. It's just to just be aware of the fact we are dealing with a translation. And so the, the subtleties, the, the, the uh, sometimes sarcasm, sometimes the play on words is missing uh, in the English. Okay, before uh, they shall march with an army and come against her with axes like hewers of wood. By the way, the Babylonians did use battle axes, and in those days it was bizarre and different and a surprise. We think of them in medieval terms that were common, but bear in mind this goes back six, six centuries before Christ. So this, uh, the idea of a battle axe was a peculiar weapon that the Babylonians introduced, and it was a, a um, aspect of awe to come across, come against that. They're, you know, they're basically archers in those days. And uh, uh, battle axes were a little bizarre. Anyway, verse 23, and they, they shall cut down her forest, saith the Lord, though it not, cannot be searched, because they are more than the grasshoppers. They are innumerable. And again, grasshoppers were an idiom of the, you know, of the, of the uh, plague, or they're without number. They're just like a swarm, if you will. 
Verse 24, the daughter of Egypt shall be confounded. She shall be delivered into the hand of the people of the north. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saith, Behold, I will punish the multitude of Noah and Pharaoh and Egypt and their gods and their kings, even Pharaoh and all those who trust in him, and I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their lives and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and into the hand of his servants, and afterward it shall be inhabited as in the days of old, saith the Lord. But fear not, O servant Jacob, and be not dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save thee from afar off and thy seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return and be in it, rest in at ease, and none shall make him afraid. Yet future, obviously. Fear thou not, O Jacob, my servant, saith the Lord, for I am with thee, for I will make a full end of all the nations to which I have driven thee. Really? Isn't that interesting? Where has the Lord driven Israel? Everywhere. Interesting. I wonder what that means. I will make a full end of all the nations to which I have driven thee, but I will not make a full end of thee, but correct thee in measure, yet will I not leave thee wholly uh, unpunished. Promise to Israel. She's not going to go unpunished. She will be corrected, like a father corrects his child. But he is going to punish these other nations. And we tend, especially in the Old Testament prophecies, to have a view that God is dealing with Israel. And certainly he is, but we, it often, we, do, we only occasionally get a glimpse of his dealing with the surrounding nations. Now, one of the things, again, I want to take it up later, but uh, when, we, when you study the book of Daniel particularly, we should be startled at the way God speaks of Nebuchadnezzar. Here is a Babylonian idol-worshiping king that God expressly raises to power to be his instrument to judge Israel by taking him slaves and also these other nations. He's using Nebuchadnezzar to judge Egypt. He's going to use Nebuchadnezzar to judge Moab, Ammon, and these others. Most of the judgments we're going to read in these ten nations are judgments that are executed through the campaigns of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is an idol-worshiping king, but he is described in the Bible as the, as the Lord's anointed. What a strange phrase. Cyrus, the Persian conqueror, who conquers Nebuchadnezzar, also spoken of as the anointed. We always think of anointing as some kind of holy water thing for priests. True. Anointed simply means like a special appointment, set aside for a purpose. The word um, sanctified means to be set aside for holiness. But to be anointed means to be appointed to a special office. And, and Nebuchadnezzar probably didn't realize that, but was God's instrument. Probably in the same way that um, the Roman administrator, spoken of in the Gospels, who called a census all over the world, was, didn't realize he was just a mechanic to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth down to Bethlehem because Micah's prophecy said Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And so it, it's interesting. Did the, Roman, did the Roman administrator realize that? I doubt it. Did the Roman centurion who threw a spear into Christ's side rather than break his bones realize he, realizing he was preserving the, the uh, Passover model where not a bone was to be broken? I'm sure he was not a student of the Torah or Exodus or Psalm 3420 or any of those things. 
and yet he he fulfilled God's will. Likewise, so, so was Nebuchadnezzar. And we'll come back if I get time to Daniel four and ten and get some other glimpses. Um, Egypt here is prophesied against twice. But what's not visible here, and I throw out just for your background, Egypt is the beneficiary of an ultimate promise to survive. She will be restored and strengthened in the millennial period, and that's described in Isaiah 19, the whole chapter, particularly verses 24 and 25, but the whole chapter focuses largely on Egypt in Isaiah 19. Ezekiel 29 verses 8 through 14, also describes an ultimate restoration and time of blessing on the land of Egypt. That's kind of strange. You say, gee, Egypt is Israel's enemy. It was, that was what the Exodus was all about. Why is God favoring Egypt in these other passages? I won't take the time to look up here because we've got plenty to cover, but I want you to be conscious as we study prophecy, the biblical uh, forecast for Egypt is favorable long term. Why? Camp David, what's Egypt's relationship with Israel today? Interesting, isn't that? And what did he promise Abraham? Either I will bless him that blesses thee and curse him that curses thee. So strangely enough, I'm sure Egypt doesn't claim that promise, but God keeps it. And that's kind of bizarre and interesting, and I think, uh, I, I frankly think, is, uh, is uh, valid. Okay, that takes, that decimates chapter 46. Let's jump into chapter 47. And here we have a chapter on another nation, namely the Philistines. They're also included here with some of their allies. Uh, some, uh, you know, Tyre and Sidon are sort of included because of, I think, uh, because of their, their, um, their allies. But the, the prophecy is really against uh, the Philistines. I mentioned Tyre and Sidon only because some study Bibles has it against Tyre and Sidon. They're only alluded here because they're allies of Philistines. Oh, by the way, some other people like to make types out of these. I'm a typologist of the worst kind, but I don't particularly press it on this passage on the one hand. On the other hand, let you, Egypt is a type of what? The world? Those would also make Philistine a type or a model of the unconverted men of the world. Different thing, I don't press it. Philistines had their origin in Egypt. They lived along the strip there, and we'll come to that shortly. A couple of other background items before we get into this is that um, the Philistines in those days had a pentapolis, that is, their five major cities along the strip Ashkelon, Ekron, Ashdod, Gaza, and Gath. And Ashkelon, Ashdod, Gaza, and Gath you can visit today, sort of. I mean, you know, they're, they're known where they are. Chapter 47, verse 1, The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet against the Philistines before Pharaoh smote Gaza. That just sets the time. There was a time when Pharaoh Necho you know, attacked Gaza. This prophecy came before then. Verse 2, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, Waters rise up out of the north, and shall be an overflowing flood, and shall overflow the land, and the, all that is in it, the city, and those who dwell in them. The men shall cry, and all the inhabitants of the land shall wail. Now here is one of those places where it's generally regarded, speaking metaphorically, the, the flood is, of course, the armies that are coming. Uh, there are times that obviously God is very literal and very specific. This is one of those times where it appears that Jeremiah is really speaking metaphorically. This prophecy apparently is given about the same time as the first 12 verse 
prophecy of the last chapter, chapter 46 was given. I mean, that's the time I was focusing on. Um, verse 3, at the, at the noise of the stamping of the hoofs of the strong horses, at the rushing of his chariots, and at the rumbling of his wheels, the fathers shall not look back to their children for feebleness of hands, because of the day that cometh to spoil the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every helper that remaineth. For the Lord will spoil the Philistines, the remnant of the country of uh, Kaftor. Uh, a couple of things. Tyre and Sidon, again, are allies of the Philistines, so don't, I wouldn't necessarily focus on the Phoenicians in this passage. However, um, the word Kaftor really means a strip country. It's actually an Egyptian word which is another indication that many scholars believe the Philistines had their origin from the south, from the Egyptians. Moving on, verse 5, Baldness is come upon Gaza. Ashkelon is cut off with the remnant uh, of their valley. How long wilt thou cut thyself? O thou sword of the Lord, how long will it be before thou art quiet? Put up thyself into thy scabbard, rest and be still. How can it be quiet, seeing the Lord hath given it a charge against Ashkelon and against the seashore? There hath he appointed it. Poetic language, in translation, lose something. A couple of thoughts. Baldness come upon Gaza. Um, Gaza is a familiar term. You may remember it from um, Joshua chapter 10, verse 41, Judges 118, 1 Kings 4. It shows up a lot in the Bible. Uh, the gates of Gaza, remember Samson's feats and so forth. Again, Philistine country. Baldness is has been prophetically, idiomatically, a term of desolation. It's a strange term to you and I, and I'm not here to offend anyone that's got a receding hairline. That isn't the issue. Um, the concept of baldness or, or that for is used as a term of implying desolation, used in this way. In Isaiah 7:20, Ezekiel 5, um, Amos 1, verses 8 and 10, that term is used. And it's sort of in contrast to hair, which is sometimes idiomatically used as a symbol of strength. I'm speaking just biblically you know, of, 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 uh, of uh, idioms here. Remember, among men, hair was conceived as strength a la Samson, or the Nazarite vow, etc. And with women, it's their, it's their glory, according to Solomon and, and so forth. So the concept of hair being strength and baldness is the absence of strength. That's the root concept here. And so baldness is come upon Gaza. It doesn't mean they suddenly had a, you know, a, a, a scalp disease. It's a, it means, it, it means as it's, a, it's a poet's way of describing that they're experiencing judgment. Now, buried in the Hebrew language, also not visible in your English, is a reference in verses 5 through 7 to the Anakim. I mentioned that as just a footnote. That's the tall nation, these unusually tall people that um, were also among, they dwelt among the Philistines. We find them in Joshua chapter 11, verse 22. And of course, the Philistines invoke Goliath, if you recall, who was of, of the Anakim. And uh, he was unusually strong. And, uh, and uh, you all know that, remember David took the five stones when he slew Goliath? You know why he took five stones? Four brothers, right on. Goliath had four brothers. He was ready for them all. But anyway, the, the Anakim show up. You don't can't see it in English, but some of the word the root words imply the Anakim here, and um, they dwelled in near Hebron during the prehistoric times, and that's the that's the link up for those of you that may want to track that one down. If you're interested in other prophecies about against the Philistines, you'll find one in Isaiah 14, 
verses 28 through 31. We'll take the time tonight. Ezekiel 25, verses 15 through 17. Amos chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. That brings us to chapter 48. Now, this is a long one. This one is a prophecy against Moab. Now, Moab, um, we're going to have two, two groups here, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And uh, uh, these, both of these groups show up a great deal in Old Testament history. And the, the Moabites and the Ammonites are the descendants of the Moabites are the descendant of the is the it's the firstborn of this daughter of Lot. That was where she was. Uh, it's a result of laying with her father, and that's in Genesis 19. For those of you who want to go back and read that sordid story, but the two illegitimate offspring of Lot through his daughters was uh, are the Moabites and the Ammonites. And um, now, um, the Moabites uh, dwelt east on the east of, uh, eastern shore of the uh, Dead Sea. From a typological point of view, they are um, they are large and careless class that are in, are in, have a name but are not heirs. Um, we'll come to that a little bit. Hebrews twelve eight speaks of the, that they're bastards, not sons, in that sense. Um, no, they, uh, uh, they ally themselves. The Moabites do all kinds of things, and we'll hit some of this, but to give you just a little bit of uh, remembrance here. They ally themselves with Nebuchadnezzar against Israel. You'll find that in 2 Kings 24 and Jeremiah 12. We've covered it before. But they also revolt with Israel against Zedekiah later. And so uh, that's in, uh, in Jeremiah 27. We've, we've had some of that. Um, so they're kind of a, a strange bunch. Uh, they're a little inconsistent in that sense. Um, the land of Moab includes Mount Nebo. Remember where Moses first saw the Promised Land? Um, you'll find references to that to 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 Moab and his relationship to Israel in Genesis 19, Numbers 22, Second Kings 3, and elsewhere. Their main deity is Chemosh. In fact, Karshemesh, the Battle of Karshemesh, that's not in the land of Moab, but it's named after, it's the fortress of Chemosh, it's named after the god of the Moabites, Chemosh, a patron uh, deity of the Moabites. In fact, the, the name Chemosh is their deity, their idol that they worship, shows up a number of times on the Moabite stone, which is found as a major archaeological thing. You'll find references to Chemosh and so forth in Numbers 21, 1 Kings 11, and you can get a Bible dictionary and chase that down if you really want to get into that. Moab. The other thing when you think of Moab, you may, may recall that there's a Gentile gal that, uh, after the death of her husband, uh, clings to her mother-in-law by the name of Naomi. And this gal becomes the subject of a book in the Old Testament called the Book of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. She ends up marrying Boaz, Boaz's mother was also a Gentile, namely Rahab the harlot, after Joshua. So Ruth and Boaz have this incredible love story in Ruth 4, and it's their fields that the shepherds are probably in when the angels visit in, in the gospel. So it's an interesting tie together. They are also the great-grandparents of King David. So anyway, Ruth comes out of Moab. 
Gentile country. Okay, enough of this. Let's jump in. And, and, and since it's a lengthy chapter, and much of this is just classical, prophetic, poetic language, we'll go at it lightly and hit a few things as we go, but see what the Lord has to say against Moab. Chapter 48, verse 1. Against Moab, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, woe unto Nebo, against the mountain that's in Moab, but it's well known from, from the days of Moses. For it is spoiled. Kiriathim is confounded and taken. And by the way, that's a city name that shows up in Numbers 32, if I just aside. A misgob is confounded and dismayed. There shall, no, uh, there shall be no more praise of Moab. In Heshbon they have devised evil against it. Come, let us cut it off from being a nation. Also thou shalt be cut down, O madman. The sword shall pursue thee. A voice of crying shall be from uh, Horonaim, uh, spoiling and uh, great destruction. And there's a lot of language studies you get behind each one of these, but we won't, you will get bogged down with that. Let's just keep moving. Moab is destroyed. Her little ones have caused a cry to be heard. For in the ascent of Aluhith, continual weeping shall go up. For in the descent of Horonim, the enemies have heard a cry of destruction. Flee, save your lives, and be like the shrub in the wilderness. Now, the shrub here is a heath, or technically a naked tree. And the insight here that may be helpful is this is a desert shrub that when a branch breaks off and blows in the wind, wherever it lands, it takes root. It's in that sense like a weed. It's easily grown. And the, the thought here is flee, save your lives, and be like the shrub in the wilderness, meaning flee before the wind, but take root wherever you end up. It's a nomadic kind of um, overtone to the thing. The other insight to get anticipated a little bit is Moab is going to get judged here, but she is not totally destroyed. Moab is, is not to be totally destroyed. She will also, like Egypt and others, be promised restoration at the end. So that's a, the positive dimension to this. Moving on, verse 7, For because thou hast trusted in thy works and in thy treasures, thou shalt also be taken. And Shemosh shall go forth into captivity with his priests and princes altogether. In other words, their main idol, their, the, the patron deity of the nation is going to be shamed. That's what's coming up here. And the spoiler shall come upon every city, and no city shall escape, and the valley shall also perish, and the plain shall be destroyed, as the Lord hath spoken. Give wings unto Moab, that it may flee and get away, for its cities shall be desolate, without any to dwell in them. Cursed is he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully. Cursed is he that keepeth back his sword from blood. Verse 11. Moab hath been at ease from his youth, and hath settled on his lees, and uh, hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remaineth in him, and his scent is not changed. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send him into, I send him wanderers, excuse me, that shall cause him to wander, and he shall empty his vessels and break their jars, and Moab shall be ashamed of Chemosh, as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. And making a reference, of course, to the time under the days of Jeroboam, uh, the king after the civil war, after Solomon, where the civil war reigned, and Jeroboam set up a, the calf worship at Bethel, introduced idol worship, shamed the nation, causing the northern kingdom to eventually get go into captivity under the Assyrians. And uh, just as that was ashamed of them, Shamash will be ashamed to Moab. Interesting passages, as we always think of the idol, God dealing with idol worship in an overt, direct way, as in Israel. We're focusing on it. But it's interesting that God doesn't tolerate it anywhere. And so uh, you can take that and look at our nation and decide what's coming. Verse 14, How say we, we are mighty and strong men for the war. Moab is spoiled, gone up out of his cities, and chosen among 
uh, young men are gone down to the slaughter, saith the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. The calamity of Moab is near to come, his, his affliction hasteneth fast. All ye that are about him, bemoan him. All ye that know his name, say, How is the strong staff broken and the beautiful rod? Thou daughter that dost inhabit Dibon, come down from thy glory, and sit in thirst, for the spoiler of Moab is come upon thee, and he shall destroy thy strongholds. And um, in, uh, I don't want to you know, get all bogged down here. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar is going to take care of Moab before this all gets over. Verse 19, O inhabitant of uh, Arar, uh, stand by the way and watch, ask him that fleeth, and her that escapeth to say what is done. Moab is confounded for it is broken down, wail and cry, tell it in Arnon that Moab is spoiled. These are all cities, obviously, in, in the Moab region. And judgment has come upon the plain country, upon Holon, upon Jazzar, and upon Mephaeth, and uh, upon Dibon, and upon Nebo, and about a bunch of other names I can't pronounce properly. And it goes on through all these cities. Uh, in, the, in verse 24, on all the, on all the cities of the land of Moab, uh, far or near. Oh, I missed one in here, verse 24, Basra. We're going to talk more about Basra before it's all over. Basra is almost not the same, but close to Petra, and that's going to have an interesting prophetic issue. Verse 25, the horn of Moab is cut off and his arm is broken, saith the Lord. The horn of Moab. There again, it's one of those phrases that's strange to us, because we're not used to this language, but the horn of an animal is its strength or its authority, its power. And the idea of a horn broken off doesn't impress us, but into the, the idiom of that time, the horn is a form of authority, and that's why when we have seven horns or ten horns or whatever in one of these visions of Daniel or in Revelation, the horn is power. It's, it's an idiom of power. And here Moab's horn is cut off, meaning he's powerless. He's lost the ability to wage war. His arm is broken, saith the Lord, make it, and make him drunk, for he magnifies himself against the Lord. Moab shall wallow in his vomit, and he shall also be in derision. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android App Store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.